0: Hi guys Adrian here from Arcade Attack and on today's show I talk to Al Nielsen. Now he shares more than a few tales about his time working at Sega and behind some of the most famous marketing campaigns the video game industry has ever seen. He talks about Sonic the Hedgehog, his work with Michael Jackson and so much more. So sit back and enjoy a really insightful and very very interesting interview. Genesis 16-bit arc. Joe Montana free, Pat Riley free, Buster Douglas free, Super Monaco GP free, or Collins free. What Nintendon't. So Al, so thank you so much for joining us on the Arcade Attack podcast. It really, really is a huge pleasure having you here. Happy to be here. Yeah, so I've, I've got lots of questions about your time at Sega and your career in general and working for such an iconic company. But before we talk about Sega, uh, would you be happy to quickly run through briefly some of your previous roles in marketing, and maybe how some of those skills uh, could be transferable when you joined to Sega, if that's
1: all right. Uh, I actually started uh, my career working for the Penny stores and catalogs. I bought video games and calculators and typewriters and telephones and home computers and children's books um, for the penny company, yep. uh, 600 stores. And, um, turned the penny company from probably about number four in the market to number one in the market. Wow. Uh, most, most people today wouldn't think of pennies as being uh, a video game company. They got out of the business, but, uh, we ended up being, uh, number one. There was no Toys R Us back then or anything else. So it was kind of like us and Sears and Kmart. Um, so it, it was a much different thing. Uh, Based on my success there, I was actually recruited by Mattel to come and work on the Intellivision video game system, um, and as a product manager for advertising and sales promotion. So working uh, on their TV commercials, uh, on the different promotions where you could go and, uh, for instance, buy I think with like 20 games, and we'd give you a free 13-inch color TV. Wow. Uh, yeah it was, uh, lots of interesting things from there and, and that gave me a, a great introduction uh, into the marketing side of the business Uh and uh, Mattel's kind of like a university, it's just I learned so much there that I used later in my career uh, you know the amount of marketing research that they do it was, it was phenomenal and the first time being able to work with Tom Kalinske. Of course. Um Absolutely. Uh, from there, um worked for a, a number of companies, including a startup that Hasbro Toys was working on to develop a live-action video game uh, uh, console, a uh, code name Nemo, which stood for Never Ever Mention Outside, a <laughs> very top secret project. Uh, and the project was actually started by a company uh, that was run by Nolan Bushnell, you know, Mr. Atari Mr. Mr. Uh So, so uh, I, I had been all around, you know, the video game world by that time. You know, as a buyer of pennies, I was working with uh, Atari and television, ColecoVision, uh, Texas Instruments on the TI-994 computer. Uh, so I had a lot of experience and knowledge of the various different companies and um, then going and, and working uh, in various aspects of the video game industry, advertising and sales promotion and market research at Mattel, uh, startups and product development and software development uh, at Hasbro. Uh, and then one day I, I got a call from a recruiter uh, for Sega wow. and Sega was looking to go and take back um, their business they had been the Sega Master System was being marketed in the United States by the Tonka Toy Company um, and it was only had about 5% market share compared to 95% in the Ni- Nintendo Entertainment System uh, so Sega wanted to go and um basically start the company over again and be in charge of marketing and selling their own products. And so um, they were looking for somebody to head up marketing, and I guess they liked me. Oh, well done.
0: Uh, Ah, Fair play. I mean, you you obviously started at Sega a really interesting time then. You must have – it sounds like everything was happening, uh, and so much was happening. Well, and Fair Play being really, really part of that. That was incredible.
1: Uh, it, it was. First of all, we were a very, very small company. We were like a startup. Yeah. Uh, we had a VP of sales, a VP of marketing, uh, someone who interfaced with Japan, um, a uh, uh, controller uh, for the finances, uh, an acting president and then we had a small repair group where we repaired master systems and then we had game counselors who would answer phones and answer game questions. Uh, and that was what Sega was like in 1989. Uh, very, very small group. Brilliant. And, and, uh, you know, my job when I got in in February 23rd, 1989 was to, um, Create the marketing campaign and launch uh, Sega Genesis, or as you guys know it, is the Mega Drive. That's
0: right, of course. Yeah, um, we're huge fans, and we, everyone here at Arkatech loves Sega. And the Mega Drive has a very special place for us, definitely. Um, this is quite kind of a generic, sort of general question, but could you kind of summarize what it was like working for those? Was it four or five years at Sega? How would you talk about it now, reflecting back? Was it some of the best times of your life, or how would you sort of Describe that
1: that great time? Uh, not some of the best times, the best times in my life. How was it? Uh, it, it and, and that's because we just had a phenomenal team. Uh, it was great people, and we're all friends to this day, and we would work with each other again in an instant. Uh, you know, we, we just all worked together to try to go and make Sega uh, as successful as possible. We had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, we had lots of crazy ideas. And instead of a company where it's like, are you out of your mind? It's like, hmm, we can make that work. And taking ideas and making them even better and bigger. Uh, and uh, we also had a very competitive spirit as we went up against Nintendo. So it, it was just a, a, a phenomenal time. Um, my days, I never had, you know, two days the same. Uh, I was in Japan every month and a half, uh, looking at, uh, the games that they had in development, I knew what was going on and and keeping up to date on that. Um, as well as, you know, working on, on advertising, promotion, um, product development. And so it was really an A to Z, uh, working in finding licenses, uh, that we could go and put on games. So working very closely with Hollywood, uh, and the movie and TV communities. Um, and so it, it was, it was just a wonderful, uh, interesting time. And as we kept getting bigger and better, uh, and increasing market share, it was all the more fun. So uh, you know Sega was Sega wasn't just when we started out number two, we were a distant number two. Mm. For every hundred video game systems that were sold, only five were Sega. and when I left, it was for every hundred uh, video game systems that were sold, sixty were Sega. <laughs> uh, and so uh, it, it was great there as well as working. Uh, with my colleagues at Sega Europe and Sega Japan and yeah. uh, Sega Adi Soft in Australia, TechToy in Brazil. Uh, so it, it was a wonderful time.
0: It's, it comes across like you had almost like a nothing-to-lose kind of attitude, just go for it and take huge risks and fair play to you. Is that a fair thing to say, would you say?
1: Um, I, I think the attitude that we had was we can do it you know and it, it wasn't I don't think that we thought we were taking risks I think we thought that we were just doing the things that we thought would really go and work and resonate with uh, the game players the consumers out there as well as resonate with the retailers because if you don't get the retailer support behind you um, uh, you know, you're not going to go and, and, um, be successful if they don't order enough or if they don't order, you know, a a wide variety of cartridges, they don't advertise you. Um, if, if, and if they don't put you in their stores in prominent positions, it's there. Uh, it's also working with the press because we wanted the press to like us, uh, more than they like Nintendo. Um, you know we, we we really viewed it as a battle um, yeah I want to talk know. about
0: this definitely later I mean it's, it's amazing I think you know the battle mm-hmm. with Nintendo absolutely incredible brilliant uh, before we go on to that I want, I'll definitely want to speak about that uh, you, you mentioned earlier that you've you worked previously with Tom Kalinsky what what a legend he is uh, did did he interview for the job at Sega did he was he there before you did he help uh, bring you through sort of thing or no
1: Tom came in after me oh did he oh uh, as I said, I was one of, I was one of the, you know, first people that were there. Yeah, yeah. And, and in fact, we didn't have a, a full-time president. We had an interim president who was on loan from the long-term credit bank of Tokyo. Yeah. Um, and because there really hadn't been a business there. Uh, the first president that was brought in was Mike Katz, another tall person. Okay. Uh, and, um, so, you know, I knew Mike and we, it was, it was kind of, kind of becoming Mattel Central, uh, coming in also was, uh, Paul Rio, who was, who I worked with at Mattel. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and he was kind of our operations person and he came in as executive vice president. So it was, it was really good to, um, have a, a group of people who had worked together and who knew processes, because when you have a small company, you know it's one of the big things that you need to do is go and uh, put processes in place so you get information to be able to go and do things. So it's kind of like, okay, here's you know, here's how we did it at Tell, so here's how we we're going to do it at Sega. You know, we had the same kind of reports and. You know, if it, the it, report used to be called the MAT-321, it all of a sudden became the SEG-321, okay. changing the title of Sega. Uh, <laughs> but that helped us, that helped us work, uh, you know, just a little faster. Um, then Mr. Nakayama, who is the president of Sega, uh, worldwide, um, recruited Tom, uh when Tom was on vacation in a beach in Hawaii wow. uh and and in the book Console Wars it goes and talked about that. Yeah. And Tom came in and um uh you know it was it was just a wonderful pleasure. Uh he hadn't well, actually he uh, you know, uh had experience in uh, developing the first electronic games to Mattel, Mattel football, baseball, et cetera. Uh, and then uh, in some of the initial instances of, of Intellivision, uh, but they put that over into a different division, uh, as well as just, you know, toys and uh, a wonderful sense of developing characters. You know, he, he helped reinvigorate uh, Barbie and make Barbie what Barbie is today. Uh, He-Man, the Masters of the Universe, yeah, yeah, uh, among, among other things. And so, you know, he was uh, phenomenal. And and the best part about it was, you know, he was up to the challenge. Uh, toy industry is a very competitive business. Yeah. And he wanted to go and, and be number one. And he was willing uh, to go and, and do... You know whatever it takes and so therefore um you know we threw we threw the book out of the uh out the door and we started writing our own book on how to go and, and market video game systems uh, nice, yeah. and no idea was too crazy
0: yeah.
1: uh you know as long as it would resonate you know with, with the um game players out there because that's what we want them to do we want them to think that you know Sega is the best. Sega is the coolest game system and company around.
0: Oh, I'd agree, especially at the time. Uh, well, I'll talk about it a bit more later if that's all right. Uh, obviously, you mentioned earlier about Nintendo, huge market leader. I think you said what, ninety-five percent. That's absolutely incredible. What, in the real early days at Sega, did was there still a lot of respect for Nintendo? Was how would you? Was it hatred? How would you describe that rivalry? Was it were they the enemy almost, or was there some mutual respect? What would you reckon, Al?
1: think it's all of the above yeah. uh, you know we, we had respect for what they had done we had respect for um, uh, you know the games that they made uh, you know they're fabulous games yep. the Mario uh, you know I, I love playing Zelda uh, right, yeah. and so you know they make good games and so great respect there and great respect for what they did to go and, and reinvigorate the video game world. Uh, but it was a massive rivalry. Uh, and, and it, it turned into a war and there was definitely animosity between the senior management of Sega and the senior management of Nintendo. Uh, we did not like each other. Mm. Um, and, uh, it, it was, you know, whatever we could go and do to, you know, give them a hard time, uh, and vice versa. Um, we wanted to go and do, um, if it, if it meant that we were going to go and sell more, uh, Mega Drive systems or game gears or, um, games, um, and so that—that's what it was all about. So it—it was—it it was, it was, it was a, a heated rivalry, but you know we respected what they did, but we wanted to win.
0: Good on you, and I think I, I suppose that rivalry kept pushing both companies to the limits, and they churned out so many good games and consoles during that time. I suppose that that probably helped things a little bit, didn't it, for the customers at least? So, um, uh,
1: would you I, agree? I, I think so. It's. Uh, you know, they, they kept turning out good games, but I think, uh, you know, as as you will read in, uh, console wars, uh, they kind of held back, uh, in marketing because they just considered us a little flea on the, on <laughs> the video game landscape. They said, you know, we're not going to go and have to change what we're doing. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's, we had 25% market share and then we had 35% market share. And we had 45% market share, Like then all of a sudden they're starting to wake up and it's like, okay, they're no longer, you know, um, the king of video games. And then all of a sudden we became number one. Uh, So it was interesting.
0: Was there a big party after that milestone was reached? Was it like a huge celebration or do you took it in your stride back then almost?
1: there wasn't a big party uh, there was you know just um, uh, uh, uh a a lot of uh of happiness as it was as it was going around uh you know the the christmas party in 1982 was, it was a wonderful affair and we were excited uh, and but it was just okay you know what do we get we have to go and keep doing this yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, keep going and, and, uh, getting better and better. Um, there is uh, there wasn't a lot of time at Sega to breathe or party. Yeah. Uh, so it, it was interesting, but so, it was fun. Yeah. That, that was, that was the best part of it. You know, it's n- nobody thought, you know, when we started, no one would have thought that we would be number one in, in uh, Sega. Yeah. And, you know, then we started to believe uh, and, and and Tom Kalinske helped us really uh, to become true believers.
0: Fair play to you. Fair play. Uh, when I was growing up in the UK, uh, Mega Drive, Sega was huge. And I remember, and and the SNES was also huge, to be fair. And I had a choice, basically, do I get the Mega Drive or the SNES for Christmas? And I chose the Mega Drive and I've got no regrets at all. One of my favorite consoles I've ever owned I think one of the tipping points for me, and I, I'll give you some credit here, Al, was I, I, Sega always came across a little bit cooler than Nintendo for sort of my age range. I was like a sort of young teenager, uh, probably like 12, 13, 14 at the time. How did you create that cool image? I mean, that, that must have been, but well, that must have been on purpose, I'm sure. Uh, the,
1: the image was definitely, um, uh, uh, on purpose. Yeah uh how it was done in the UK and in Europe and in the US was very different uh there there was a uh, uh a different a different appeal to consumers that was there but they were both in terms of trying to uh get that coolness yeah. um you know an, uh, initially we wanted to go and appeal to older players Mm. uh teenagers college students young adults because in the u.s the nintendo entertainment system the 8-bit system was very much for 9 to 12 year old boys yep and so it's like go after the older uh customers and um um, get them involved and then we'll come back to the nine, and nine to 12 year olds later. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started working with MTV mm-hmm. who, you know, was highly cool uh, uh, and had only been about 10 years old at that time um, uh, to go and borrow their coolness, to go and show that we wanted to do edgy advertising. Mm-hmm. Um, which started out edgy and then got very, very edgy, um, you know, including, you know, making fun of Nintendo with the Genesis does what Nintendo don't campaign. I love that. I love, I love that. Uh, side I, it. Yeah. It, it, you know, it, it's really wonderful. Uh, that was developed by our ad agency, Bozell. Yeah. Uh, and we said we needed a campaign to, uh, really differentiate us from Nintendo. And so they came up with this campaign and uh, they were running us through the storyboards and how the music would go, Genesis does, Genesis does, yeah. Genesis does. And then they pull out one last um, uh, storyboard and all it says on it is, Genesis does what Nintendo don't. And, and we we just fell on the floor laughing. And because it was, it was the perfect expression, uh, that we wanted to go and do. And we knew that customers would love it and Nintendo would hate it. I'm sure they, uh, I, I'd love to
0: see. Oh, can you imagine their faces the first time they saw that? They must be furious. <laughs>
1: um, and, you know, it's, I, I, once again, it was kind of like, Oh, it's these little fleas trying to go and bite at our feet. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but we went and showed them and you know, the campaign didn't last very long um, because Sega Japan um, did not believe in competitive advertising. Um, and so they uh, wanted us to pull the campaign quickly, mm. but we had done an awful lot of TV so that it was in people's minds and an awful lot of uh, ads in uh, the video game magazines uh, and, and it's, it's just amazing that, you know, 25 plus years later, 20, actually 27, 28 years later, um, Genesis does what Nintendo and is still loved and remembered, um, by gamers out there and people, uh, you know, who were, who were Segaites. Yeah, that's uh, part of the history, isn't so it? Video games, it, definitely. It yeah. is. It's, it's, you know, it's, um, it's just amazing that, you can go and do something that, that has such a, uh, long, um, uh, lasting appeal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Fair place. And
1: you. then, then, you know, later we wanted to go after, we wanted to start getting the nine to 12 year old audience. in. so we worked with, uh, Nickelodeon, mm. the number one children's brand and because they were the coolest thing around for kids. And so we started working on different contests, uh, like the slime time sweepstakes and slime was very cool. And if Sega wasn't part of it, Sega would be cool. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and we used Nickelodeon to help introduce a little guy called Sonic. <laughs> uh, and so that became very successful. And then later, um, uh, um as we were getting ready for Sonic 2, we switched ad agencies to Goodby Berlin, uh, Silverstein, and um, they just came out with these phenomenal, uh, lifestyle ads where just, it, it was just wildness and craziness. Uh, and they were like in, in a 6 to 30 second commercial, there were 164 cuts, uh, and of, of images. And it was just amazing that, you know, everybody looking at it got all 164 images. They figured out what was going on. And it was a whole new look in, in video game advertising. And that was very, very successful for us.
0: Well done. Well done. Um, obviously, I assume you've played a lot of SAVE games in your time. What, did you did you get a lot of chance to play at that time, or I suppose you were busy doing other stuff? And if you if you were a bit of a gamer back then, were there any titles that really did that jumped out at you? You just knew they'd be onto a winner. So what, what sort of games really stood out for you when you were working at Sega?
1: Well, you know the the first time I, I saw it was Sonic, yeah, it was in the R and D lab in Tokyo, and uh, or actually I had seen Sonic on a piece of paper, but it was kind of like And he had a rock band and a a human girlfriend named Madonna, uh, and it was, and it's, but there was no gameplay and it's kind of like, you know, what's this all about? And, and, uh, Sega Japan asked me to choose between that and an egg-shaped character for their Mario Killer. Mm. And I chose Sonic as the lesser of two evils. Um, you know, it's hard looking at a character and, and trying to, figure out what they're going to do if you don't have any gameplay. but then you know, fast forward a few months, I'm in Japan in an R&D lab and I see a kind of wireframe model of the Green Hill Zone and this little character racing through and I had never seen such speed. And then they took me over to, um, uh, I guess it was um, uh, Oshima-san's uh, uh, area and they showed what the backgrounds would look like in full color and, you know, just beautiful uh, backgrounds. And I said, can you do that quality detail and get that quality of speed, get that speed when you put them together? And they said, Absolutely. And I just came back from Japan raving, uh, and everybody at Tega was going like, we've never seen Al do this before. Uh, and you know, and then we get back, you know, got a first alpha, uh, a few weeks later and everybody got to see what I was, what I was doing, you know, raving about. Uh, and, and so that was amazing. Um, you know, Echo the Dolphins yeah. was another fun thing. Uh, Toe Jam and Earl. You know, we went from the fastest uh, video game with Sonic to the slowest video game <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. with with Toe Jam and Earl. So you know that that was there, and and you know also playing you know lots of, of our third party games. Hmm. And you know, if, if I needed to take a break, I played a little Truxton or Thunder Force Four. Um, and but you know, it was it was just. Lots of exciting stuff, and then Sonic Two came along, oh, yeah. uh, and, and that just that just blew our minds. That, you know, because sequels are generally not as good as the first one. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I tried to play uh, a lot of games because I, you know, if you're going to go and market a game, mm-hmm. um, you market a game based upon uh, how well you'll do, and you know. It, even though you could go and have the the best marketing campaign behind it, if the game isn't any good, you know, the public's going to go and find out uh, really fast. You know, the best, the fastest way to kill a good, a bad game is with good advertising. Mm. Uh, Um, and so, uh, you know, we played the games to go and say, is this really an A plus 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 game? Uh, and is it, you know, it will it sell you know, the millions of copies that we think it will, or has the quality slipped to a B, and so therefore we need to reduce the volume, we need to reduce the marketing campaign dollars that are behind it. Yeah. So, you know, it, it was a constant thing, and it was all about you know, the quality of the game. We had some games that initially we thought were a B and turned into an A, mm. and we had some games that, you know, went the other way. And uh, you know, my my volume projections and uh, marketing plans, you know, a year and a half out would be consistently changing until the product launches mm. uh, because it, it all was it was all based upon, you know, what was the quality behind the game? Mm.
0: Ah, fair play. Um, I'm sure I'm, I'm, I can speak on behalf of everyone at Sega, all Sega fans around the world saying, you know, well done for pushing Sonic. Um, Have you ever thought, actually, Al, that how life might be different if you really pushed for that egg character instead of Sonic? Where do you think Sega would be now? I mean, what an incredible sort of sliding doors moment in a way.
1: Well, you know, it it, it was a a testament to uh, Naka and the Sonic team, and they weren't the Sonic team then. They were just the team. Uh, And what they were able to go and create. Uh, and who knows what they'd be able to create with the egg character. Yeah. Uh, the reason why I, I chose Sonic over the egg character was um, the egg character felt for the U.S. market, and actually the reason why Nakayama-san asked me to go and choose which one, mm-hmm. he was looking for a game that would sell in the U.S. and around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he's looking for something for world appeal. And my feeling on the egg character was that it was coming off very preschool in yeah. the US yeah. and very young. <clears throat> I understood why it would work for um, the Japanese market because of some of the animation that they had. Mm. Uh, but it just it just wouldn't work as well. Uh, even though I had no idea what the gameplay was. Mm. Uh, so, you know, it was great from there. But then we also took Sonic and, you know, we gave him more of an attitude. Uh, we made him a little bit more friendly. He had some fangs in one period. We kicked them off. Um, uh, Knock and the team were not very happy about us, you know, changing their creation but once again, it was going back to what Mr. Nakayama oh. wanted. He wanted uh, a game that would have worldwide appeal. Uh, and uh, we were taking the charge on that. And we had one of the best character development experts in the world um, at our head of our company, Tom Kalinske. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, Tom and Madeline Schroeder, who was Sonic's product manager, and myself, worked very, very um, carefully to go and help define, um, you know, the final look of first Sonic and um, how he would be introduced and how he'd be marketed. Um, so it was, it was uh, uh, we, we knew what we had. We just had to make sure that we did it right. And the other thing was, was it was going to be our secret weapon against the launch of the Super NES because oh, yeah. it was coming out before Nintendo came out, and we knew we we knew that uh, uh, there was greater appeal to Sonic than there was to Mario on uh, Super NES. We had gotten a copy of the of the Super Famicom when it launched, mm. well about a year year and a half before it launched in uh, the US. And, you know, we played Mario. It was a, a classic, great Mario game, classic, great gameplay. Yeah. Uh, and it was fun, but it was Mario. Mm. And Sonic was just a whole new, wonderful experience. And we did research where we got people to come and play um, Sonic and the new Mario. They had never seen either one of them because mm. they weren't out yet. Uh, and we also uh, went and made sure that the majority of players were Mario lovers, uh, and you know Mario was one of their favorite games, top five games. Uh, and the big thing was that 80% of the people chose Sonic over Mario, um, and so we knew that we had a, a great secret weapon um, uh, to stub the launch of the uh, super nintendo in
0: the u.s that's a, I mean, it's an incredible story really i mean sonic is one of the most well-known iconic characters ever um i mean how, how did was there any other tales excuse the pun there you could help tell us about the character itself was there any other things you changed or you wish you could have changed or is you know is there anything else i know you have some influence on the actual character tales is that true as
1: well al well, uh, Tails was Sonic 2 was being developed in the U.S. The, we had actually brought the whole Sonic team over yeah. and we put them in a, a building uh, about 15 miles away from our offices and kind of put a lid on it, it like uh, no one from Sega of America is going over there with the exception of some of the people from the Sega Technical Institute who are helping to develop the game. And, uh, my product manager, Madeline Schroeder, uh, and one day they, you know, we knew a new character was coming and started seeing, um, uh, drawings of, of this, uh, orange fox with, with two tails and, uh, thought that was interesting. And then one day Madeline comes into the, into my office and says, they named the fox. Yeah. Okay. And what do they want to call him? And like they want to call him Miles Prower. Yeah, you know, which is a pun on miles per hour, which oh, is interesting. But Miles Prower was just a horrible name. <laughs> yeah. uh You know, it, it was just oh, it it, it it was horrible. And and Madeline went and said, no, they won't change it. I go, that's your next question. And so we worked, you know, we, I tried to get them to change it. Madeline tried to get them to change it. Yeah. Our executive vice president, Shinobu Toyota, tried to get them to change it. Uh, Tom Kalinsky tried to get them to change it, and they said no. And I think, you know, they, I think they were, this was getting back at us for changing, you know, the look of Sonic. Um, and so we kind of huddled, and it's kind of like, Okay, come up with a name, and, and we love the name Tails because he had two tails. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, very hard to do. A, come up with that name, uh, and then let's go and, and write a backstory. And so Madeline and I wrote this backstory uh, about how Tails became Tails and how he got his name. Uh, his, and it's a nickname. Um, and so, um, I went down to, um, uh, the the Sonic offices, Sonic 2 offices with Shinobu Toyota and Shinobu was going to translate for me as I read my little tale. And they looked at me like, I know why he's here. I don't want him here. Why do I have to listen to the scribble? Um, um, I would read a paragraph, and then Shinobu would translate another paragraph, and you know, and it took about fifteen minutes. Um, and it was amazing the change that was in you know the, the body language of people. Yeah. You know, one of the designers actually had a tear in his eye. Oh wow. And and Naka went and said, "You may call them tails." Uh, so we succeeded there. So his name is Miles Prower, that is his official name, yep. yeah, but his nickname is Tails and, and that's what we, uh, that's what he, uh, you know, used. Of course. Um, and so, you know, it was, uh, we were happy we, we did that. We didn't want to go through another case of where, you know, Dr. Robotnik was known in the Western world and in Japan, he was known as Dr. Eggman. That's right. Uh, uh, and we just didn't want to go and have uh, another case of that.
0: Which name do you prefer, Robotnik or Eggman? If you if you chose yourself,
1: I'm sorry. did you have the question?
0: Uh, who obviously, Doctor Robotnik and Doctor Eggman, two different names. But which one do you prefer? Do you have a preference yourself?
1: Well, there's only one Robotnik. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Robotnik.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Um, yeah,
1: it's it, it, uh, somehow Sega just kept pushing eggs on us. I guess. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. No. Definitely. He's definitely a robot,
0: Yeah, I, I agree completely. Okay. Um, quick question is is it true that Sonic's middle name is actually the and is the T officially trademarked? Is that actually true? Or is that
1: a load of rubbish? No, that that that's actually true. Wow. So uh, the, the trademark applications forms came into my office. Uh, from our legal department and they just wanted me to go over them and make sure that everything was right. And I'm going through them and in the ones they had gone and capitalized the. And I went to get a little, you know, post it note and put on it, you know, lowercase t. And as I'm doing that, I'm going, hmm, (laughs) let's leave it as a capital T. Because I can use that as a story with some member of the press someday. That's, a, it's a great little story. Wow. <laughs> you know, and that, and, and it was just total, total circumstance. And the thing is, is, is when you're dealing with the press, the press, you know, they hear the same old stories and you know, it's faster, blah, 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 and they're looking for something that they can go and write. Yeah. And and if you've got a story that can go in that you know you can pull out of your back pocket that that's interesting um, you know that can, they're more likely to go and write about you than about your competitor uh, and so that, that was the whole reason why I did that uh, I, I understand that that um, there there's been some uh, possibly some changes. Over the years where that has been changed. Okay. Um, uh, and I've, I, really haven't followed that. But when Sonic was introduced, Dog was his middle name. <laughs>
0: that's, that's a pretty little story. Thank you. Uh, that's, that just shows little, little, little things, pretty little stories there. Little words up to Sega, I think. And fair play to you. Brilliant. Um, obviously I'm based in the UK. You, you mainly, well, you're focused in the USA. I know you worked, you know, you, had other influence around the world as well a bit, but uh, obviously it was called the Genesis there and the Mega Drive in the UK. Why were the names different and uh, how did you come at the? Well, did you have any say on the name Mega Drive or how did you come up the name
1: Genesis? Uh, the problem, we couldn't call the system Mega Drive in the US yeah. because another company had already trademarked the name uh, in the categories that we would need for video games, et cetera. Was it? Right. it was some kind of hard drive system. And so therefore we were forced to use another name. Um, they had been working on the names just when I came on board in uh, February 23rd, 1989. And um, uh, David Rosen, who was the uh actually founder of Sega way back when. Mm. Uh, and uh, one of the designers he worked with, Keith Chambers, um, had come up with a, a bunch of names and come up with, I think, five final names. And Keith Chambers, went who designed the packaging, actually mocked up the front panel for the hardware box using all five names. Uh, and so one was Genesis, uh, and the box looked like what the box actually came out to be. Uh, another one was called Cyclone, mm. which was named after the roller coaster at Coney Island in New York. Mm. Uh, and then there was another one which had an icon, which was a fox, only one tail. Uh, and I don't remember the name of that or the two other ones. Mm. Um, and my first job when I walked in the door that day, uh, my first day, was to go and get some quick market research and find out what people thought about uh, the five names. Our internal favorite was Genesis. We all loved that name. We just thought it was it had a lot of strength and power to it. Um, and we, uh went around the country and we showed them the the ups and asked them what they thought and which one they preferred yeah. um, and the uh definitely the uh name that was preferred was Genesis uh and it was for an interesting reasons uh one people you know made uh the connection to the Bible, the book of Genesis oh, yeah. uh, and kind of a new beginning. But the one that we weren't expecting was they were going and talking about the Genesis project from the Star Trek movies.
0: Wow. Uh,
1: and, you know, uh, and a whole new world that was there. And and we just loved the connection. And so, you know within you know a week and a half after i joined uh the name was genesis uh, so it, it, it was just wonderful and uh, you know i wish i could say that i had a role in in uh helping to develop the name i just my role was making sure that it was the right one so oh, good on
0: you good on you um, another we've already spoken about genesis does what nintendo nintendo don't nintendo is brilliant uh obviously there's a famous uh campaign called Sonic Tuesday or Tuesday. Can you speak about a bit about that and how it came about and how, how successful that Certainly.
1: was? uh well it was a phenomenal success uh around the world uh making Sonic the best-selling video game, uh um, which was great. Um Madeline Schroeder and I were working uh we knew Sonic 2 was coming out. Yep. And we, you know, we had seen through development that it was going to be a, um, uh, not just a, a good sequel, but a phenomenal sequel. Um, and as I said before, sequels don't normally, you know, go up to the level of the original, but this one was going definitely beyond it. Uh, and so we knew it was going to be our number one game of 1992. Uh, and so we wanted to give it the biggest video game, um, uh, you know, promotion. Mm-hmm. Um, because not only did we want to sell Sonic Two, the the importance of it is that Sonic Two helps sell Genesis systems. Yeah. Uh, and 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 that was the goal. We we wanted to sell more Genesis systems than Super Nintendo did. Uh, and so. Uh, we have been working for several months and on developing the plans and coming up with third parties and uh to go and develop products around sonic 2 uh we had worked with nickelodeon on uh another promotion that we would go and um um uh, do uh to help introduce sonic 2 we had uh, come up with some ideas for some in-store demos and things like that, mm. and it was just a, it was a phenomenal plan, and it was the biggest thing we had ever done, and the biggest thing that had been done for um, video games, and it was in now January nineteen ninety two, yeah. And uh, the next day, Madeline and I were going to go and present to the the rest of the senior staff, Tom Kalinske, Richard Burns, our head of sales, Shinobu Toyota, uh, Executive Vice President, Paul Rio, Executive Vice President, uh, Diane Fernassier, Director of Marketing and Game Gear, Ellen Bethman Busker, PR. Um, and, you know, here's the plan. Okay, you know, do we get the sign off? Um, and so Madeline and I were in my office and we're going through the plan and we had all these foils cause they were overhead projectors. We've no PowerPoint in those days. Yep. And, you know, we had like 50, 50, uh, foils. And as I'm going through it, I say, this isn't good enough. Mm. And, and, you know, we had been working on it for months and we loved it. And Madeline just looks at me as if I'm crazy, you know, say, what? And I'm going, it's not good enough. You know, it's great, but it's just not good enough. We can go and do better. And it's like, wait, tomorrow morning we have to go and present this. You know, what what do you want? And so we're just having this back and forth. It was getting heated. And it's like I don't know what I want. All I know is that this isn't Sonic worthy. This is Mario worthy. (laughs) Uh how and that you know, that's how we kind of uh you know, delineated things. And and she just goes, We don't have anything else, you know, and she's pointing out to me all the great stuff that's there and how it's gonna work. And you know, I'm ready to disagree with her, and then all of a sudden you know, I stopped mid-sentence and this idea comes um, uh, in my head. And I said, you know, we're going to go and have a day and we're going to go and ship all the products in by air freight to the retailers the night before. Um, so bypassing, you know, uh, normal ways of uh, development. Yeah. And the one will do pre-sales, but you won't be able to get it until this particular day. Um, and not only that, it's going to be the first global launch. Um, and it was like, you know, wow. Yeah. And, and, and why this was important was video games. You never knew when a video game was going to come out. You know, it would come out in April and that's because whenever the truck got there from the warehouse, that's when it was on sale. Mm. And, you know, you you really couldn't, you know, get excited about a game because you didn't know exactly when it was going to come.
0: Yeah,
1: And it could be a two and a half week difference between when some stores got it and other stores got yeah. it. And the other problem was, was that, when people try to go and do a thing where we'll ship it in advance but the product hold the product until you know March 10th to put it on sale some little store in you know in some mall in Ohio says I'm going to sell it now Mm. and then so then Toys R Us says hey they're selling it so I'm going to go and sell it and so Your street date just went out the window. And so the only way we could go and do a street date was to literally ship it in the day before. Um, and that cost us, you know, um, a ton of money to go and do. Um, and I wanted, I said, um, you know what? Let's call it a marketing expense because the effect of going and having this day will be worth a whole lot more than the expense of, of, what it's going to cost. Um, and you know, let's do it globally. And so then Madeline and I are going, okay, when, what day of the week? And so we had to come up with a day where, you know, it could get there the day before. So it couldn't be a Monday cause Sunday, yeah. you know, you wouldn't have the breeze. Uh we didn't want it on a Friday because that's when movies came out and so we'd be uh doing that. And so we're just going through the days and you know, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday two, <laughs> Sonic two, Sonic Tuesday.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, with and and we just turned it into a great pun. Uh and I was like, okay, that's something that is memorable and people will get excited about. And um, you know, and then we we figured out the taglines that we had this pun, you know, punathon in the office where everybody is doing two puns to um try to figure out what the taglines will be for our posters. Uh and we came up with are you up to it? Yeah. Which is great because you're challenging people. Uh you're challenging players. Uh, and then too fast, too cool, too day for the actual day of Sonic Tuesday. Mm. Um, and so then, the, so we went and rewrote all of our foils. And, um, you know, 14 hours later, we were in the conference room presenting this. Uh, and we had, as I said, about 50, 50 foils and took about 45 minutes. And finished, and there was just this giant silence in the room. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> which was very strange. Uh And then we, you know, Tom Kalinske, it shows why he was a, a great president. Uh He went and turned to Richard Burns, our head of sales, and says, So, Rich, what do you think? Yeah. And, and Rich <laughs> just takes a, a giant breath, and he goes, I don't know how we're going to pull this off. (laughs) Yeah, but but we have to. Yeah, and with that, it was decided. Everybody loved the idea, Um, you know. And and Paul Rio called in our head of operations to the meeting and said, "Hi, you need to figure out a way to ship a million cartridges (laughs) overnight to thirteen thousand retailers and do a." Same price as trucks. And it was like, okay. (laughs) And, you know, and then we're all going and saying, okay, I'm going to go and do this and I'm going to go and do that. And Tom says, I'll get uh, Nick Alexander at Sega Europe, president of Sega Europe and get him on board. Nova says, I'll call Nakayama and get Japan on board. Um, and we had to figure out, you know, if we, we had about a month and a half to figure out all the details to see if we could actually go and pull it off yeah. because in May we were having this giant Sega convention at Boca uh, Raton in Florida, um, which was kind of a first of its kind where we were going to introduce our 1993 product, uh, 1992 product line and introduce Sonic two uh, and Sonic Tuesday. And the big thing was, is if the retailers said, no, we're not going to do what you want us to do mm. then you know, it gets all thrown out. And and the amazing thing is is the retailers just fell in love with what we were doing and said, you know, Sonic 2 is going to be our number one product of the year in our stores, Uh, which is great because it means that Super Nintendo isn't going to be the number one product. Um, And it it was amazing. But it's it's amazing what you can go and do, you know, uh, at the last minute and how how creativity can go and, and, and just change. Uh, and everybody thought we had been working on Sonic Tuesday for months. And it's like, no, 14 hours.
0: That's- uh,
1: uh, and so it, it's there. And then everybody else just kept coming on and adding things to it. Mm-hmm. So Ellen, Beth, uh, Van Buskirk started adding things that we could do from a PR standpoint. And Richard came up with additional things we could go and do from a retailer standpoint. And so Sonic Tuesday, the plan just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and better. Um, and, and it was amazing. And it was the, you know, the most successful promotion um, that we had. Um, and it achieved the skills. It helped and that's what helped pull us to become number one over Nintendo for the year. Uh, because it pulled the Genesis sales along. Um, and it also started something that exists to this day, which are street gates.
0: Yeah, I was going to oh, say, okay, you, okay. you started the ball rolling for so many companies now. It must be incredible yeah. that you, you, were, you were one of the first people to do that. And now, yeah, you know, these gaming launches, uh, they happen every other week, don't they? It's absolutely incredible.
1: Yeah, it is. And, then, you know, and that wasn't the way it was. Yeah. We were the first ones who had done it, um, oh. you know, where it actually worked. As I said, the other ones, everybody had a street date, but they just shifted it normally and the street dates never held. Uh, and we were the first ones to do it and we were the first ones to do it with such a huge marketing campaign to make it, you know, a a blockbuster event. Uh, and not just in the U S, but simultaneously worldwide, uh, which was, you know, unheard of. Um, but it was amazing.
0: Uh, play. I mean, the ambition is incredible. Um, obviously, you, you've worked on lots of marketing campaigns and they're still so fondly to remember today. That's what obviously we're talking about today. Obviously, uh, was there any campaigns or any ideas that you had, but never made it through the door? But you kind of think actually they would have been successful. Is there any, not regrets as such, but is anything that didn't quite happen? How you would have probably liked it? Uh, th- there's, there's one
1: campaign. That wanted to do for the launch of Streets of to Rage two because yeah. Streets of Rage 2 was I mean very very late and was going to for the most part miss Christmas nineteen ninety two, but we wanted people to know it was coming so that was there, and we wanted and because Streets of Rage is you know it's uh, you know a, a nice kick'em game, Brilliant. Brilliant game. Uh, um, in, in this in this urban decaying you know area um and things are getting destroyed. Uh, I wanted to run a contest where the winner would get the opportunity to push a button which would implode, which would implode a giant building. <laughs> wow. How incredible.
0: That'd be amazing.
1: And, oh, it, it would have been, it would have been phenomenal. And the problem was when by the time I came up with this idea, cause um the the dayton streets of rage 2 were there we we just couldn't pull it off yeah. because there were insurance concerns there were state laws involved there were federal laws involved um and then having to go and find a building that we could go and do yeah. and finding a demolition company that would actually let us go and, and have somebody push the button yeah. Um, from a logistic standpoint, we just couldn't pull it off, um, and, and it was the program that you know uh, I and and I think everybody else at Sega would have loved to do, um, mm. but we just didn't have enough time to do it. Ah, that sounds
0: awesome! Oh, it's such a shame. I'm sure I'm sure it'd be just as iconic now as the other ones we mentioned today.
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah. it would have been. It, it 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 was. We just knew that. Uh, you know, I talked to the game so well, uh, but it was a contest that every gamer would want to, yeah. uh, to enter. Uh, and so it would have gotten a lot of word of mouth and publicity behind it. Um but as I said, they love it. We just couldn't pull it
0: off. You, you could have possibly anytime. put um, Nintendo signs on the building as well, but I suppose that might be going a bit too far, possibly.
1: <laughs> yeah, we weren't going to do that, but we had some interesting ideas uh, of of how everything was going to go. Uh, it, we had the plan, we just we just couldn't execute it.
0: Fair enough. Um, again, feel free to quash these rumors, out, But obviously, Sega of America, Sega of Japan. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I've I've heard rumors that you didn't always see eye to eye. I mean, I suppose you mentioned it earlier a little bit about Sonic and so forth, and little changes here and there, but how how would you describe that relationship when you're working there was was it a healthy relationship was there clashes now and then cultures culture uh, shocks for example how would you describe the two sort of relationships there uh,
1: I you know i think it was all of the above yeah. uh, uh personally i had a phenomenal relationship with the sega r&d group yeah uh and i would i was welcomed uh I I went there every month and a half and I sat down and watched the development of every single game and was able to go and give input and ideas, uh, and and they were welcomed. Uh, and, and so that was, that was just a a phenomenal relationship. Um, there were culture clashes with, with other departments and other divisions. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, I think to a certain extent, it's kind of like, we're the parent company, you're the child. Uh you know, why don't you remember that? And it's like you've got, you know, ten percent of your market in Japan and you know, we're we're approaching fifty percent. Yeah. And, you know, we're we're the biggest and so therefore, you know, we must be doing something right. Um, and so there there were, you know, some um uh People who you know uh, didn't want to make things necessarily easy or wanted to make their own decisions. So we would find out decisions late uh, that they had made on our behalf without telling us.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, uh, you know, and there and there were times when I I'd, uh, be in Japan and I just be waiting for another meeting and I see something. It's like, what's that? And they go, Oh, that's the the new controller we're going to be shipping and three months and we had never seen it before.
0: Right.
1: And it's like you it can't change a controller in the middle of a year. Mm. Uh and and you know it it it's just um it, it so there were there were different definitely some culture clashes. Uh we had an exceptionally strong relationship uh with Sega Europe yeah. uh, and Techtoy in Brazil. Um and but the relationship between the U.S. and Japan uh, varied greatly by, um, you know, what it was and who you were dealing with.
0: Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, obviously, Sega was a, hu- a huge, huge player in the market. It's not quite the same anymore. It's, it's still around, still making good quality games, but obviously no, no longer in the console market as such. Why do you, why do you think Sega isn't as successful as it was back then? What do you reckon the main reasons are that it's not quite the same company as it was back in your heyday?
1: You know, it, it, it's, it, it's hard for me to to, you know, guess. Mm. Um, and, um, I don't want to really speculate on that. Sure, I understand. Um, and so, uh, you know, it, it it's, it's something that I, I I don't have an answer for.
0: That's that's fine, more than fine. Now, that's no problem at all. Um, do you, is it true? Did were you working uh, heavily on the 32x, the Mega CD as well? And is it is it fair to say that Japan were a little bit reluctant with those powerful add-ons? How how do these two big add-ons for the Mega Drive or the Genesis come about? Were you involved in those as well?
1: It was actually the opposite. Japan wanted it and, and we didn't. Fair enough. Um you know we first learned about the thirty two X when uh Tom and Shinobu and I were uh at Sega Japan and they made a presentation to us when we were walking through one of the R and D groups showing us. And, you know, it's here, here's what the, you know, the capabilities are, uh, how much is going to cost? It's going to cost $150, yeah. um, so you're adding $150 onto a $100, you know, game console. Um, any new system goes and takes time to learn how to go and do it. You know, yeah. we couldn't have done, we couldn't have done Sonic in the first year of the life of Mega Drive because you just don't underna- understand the software development and what, what the machine can do mm-hmm. for two years. Uh, and so that means we couldn't go and get, you know, the maximum out of 32 X. Yeah. Uh, that's there. The other thing is, is you only have finite development resources. And so therefore the team is going to, a development team is either going to be working on 32X or on Mega Drive or on Game Gear. And by adding a new system, you're cutting down on, on titles that you know you can sell very profitably and in the millions, um, for your Genesis system, uh, rather than, uh, for it. And, and the other big thing was it, it just added confusion, um, yep. into the market. We knew we were coming out with Sega CD and we wanted to go and which once again had the same thing of we're learning what CD games are and, and Sega CD was known as, it was a market test for us. Yeah. Uh, and it was a learning experience so that we would be able to go and do, you know, Saturn and Dreamcast down the line. Um, and so we were putting, you know, all of our eggs in the Sega CD basket. And now and we want to get people to buy that. And now you've got another $150 component and mm. you're confusing the marketplace. You're cutting down on development resources, so you're not going to go and get the great product that you want. Um, and, and it was something we just didn't want. Um, and, you know, while I was at Sega, I killed the product four times. Really? Uh, uh, and it was like, no, 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 we can't do this. Yeah. Uh, and it just kept being pushed and pushed. And finally, when I left... Um, you know, the agreement, I guess, Sega Japan pushed harder and it went into the marketplace. Uh And, and, you know, the results are, you know, I, I, I've got one, um, with a 1999 price sticker on it.
0: Oh, really? You know,
1: as a as a closeout, uh, and, you know, down from a, what, a hundred and twenty nine dollars. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, it, it was unfortunate and, and, and what, you know, every now and then you see on social media, somebody will go and, and put a picture of uh, a Genesis unit on a Sega CD with a Mega CD <laughs> on top of it. And, yeah. and it's just, and you just go and, and you shake your head. And, and the worst thing that you can do is just go and,
0: Confuse
1: the market. Yeah, uh, uh, and and that's what we were
0: doing. Oh, fair enough. I think you answered that very well. Um, I'd love to ask you actually about Moonwalker and Michael Jackson because I, I believe mm-hmm. it was a, a Moonwalker. Michael Jackson. Did you work closely
1: with that game and help market that game? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one day, Shinobi Toyota, or executive vice president. Uh, walks into my office and closes the door, which was very strange. We were a very open-door company. Yep. So it's like, okay, what am I getting fired? Uh, and he goes, Mr. Nakayama has chosen you for a project. And I was like, oh, no. What is this all about? Um, and he says that we they just signed a deal with Michael Jackson mm-hmm. to do an arcade game and a Genesis game. And he wants you to go and be the liaison between Michael and Sega. Yeah. And it was, wow. That's, that's amazing. Cool. <laughs> uh, and so it's like, okay. So he says, first thing you have to do is, is, um, present the game designs to Michael and get him to sign off on these. Wow. And, and he pulls out some storyboards and they don't have any, any uh, explanation on them. And I said, okay, so when are we uh, going to meet Michael? And he says, tomorrow. <laughs> and it was what? like, okay. So that night, Shinobu and I, um, actually it wasn't Shinobu, it was sakurai who was the head of consumer products worldwide. Uh, Shinobu did the Sonic one. Um, and so... Uh, Dai and I spent about four hours that night on the phone with Japan with the game designers yeah. who are explaining the game to me, and Dai is translating what's there, and I'm looking at the storyboard, and so I'm trying to understand how the game works and what's going on mm-hmm. for both the arcade game and the home game, um, and... Uh finally after four hours I, I, I had enough of an explanation where I felt I could go and talk to Michael. Yeah. Um next day we went down to LA and to the studio where he was recording his new album mm. and uh I was told, you know, uh, you've got twenty minutes and it's probably Michael will probably want to cut off the meeting after ten. Fair enough. Uh, and it's like I've got two games in twenty minutes, <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> and so um, we're walking down the hall. I'm carrying one of the first Genesis off the production line, and here comes Michael, and he sees the Genesis box with Altered Beast, yep. and he goes, "I know that game. That's a good game. Oh wow!" Because uh, he had played the Altered Beast arcade game. Yeah. And uh I and I gave him the first Genesis of, as a gift. Yeah. And then we went upstairs and uh to his room and there was all of the, the agent and all of these lawyers and they're just standing there. Oh, and and I walk in with Michael and he goes, Have a seat and I'm looking, there's a couch, there's a seat, and I'm going, I don't know which is going to be the better one for him. So I said no, Michael. You said first. Right? Yeah. He goes and plops down on the floor, uh, and so I'm in a suit and I plop down on the floor right next to him. Yes. Yeah. And everybody else is in a semi-circle around us, standing That's and it. watching us. And so I go and I start explaining the game, and he's giving great feedback mm. and understanding because he's a gamer.
0: Yeah, he loves and, his games. They? He did love his games. Yeah.
1: Yeah, he does. You know, and I joked, I said to him, if the music thing doesn't work out, I'll get you a job at Sega. <laughs> designer. Um, and what was interesting was, you know, the time, you know, the, the 20 minutes flew by, you know, 45 minutes flew by, you know, an hour flew by and we're still going. And, and finally, um, uh, the intercom goes and, uh, uh I think it was Quincy Jones going, Michael, we need you in the studio now. Um and I ended up spending an hour and fifteen minutes yeah. uh with him and getting all of the information that he loved that. Uh and if you look in the console wars book, there's a picture of me with Michael, and that's actually from that very first day. Wow. Um and then I, I met Michael repeatedly as Sega Japan would go and come up with new builds and I'd take them and, and show him and we'd play through the new builds, uh, and get his feedback. Um, and so, you know, I had been to his various homes and I got to stay at, um, uh, the, um, Neverland Ranch.
0: Brilliant. Uh,
1: and I got to know him as a friend. Oh wow. Uh, yeah. It was just—it was a wonderful experience because you know we had a mutual love of games, and you know his aide, went after that first meeting. Goes, you don't know what just happened. Michael doesn't go and meet with people for an hour and fifteen minutes. Yeah. You know, Michael was fifteen minutes. You're done. Mm-hmm. And I said we were talking about a mutual love of video games and you know he wanted it to be the best uh and he wanted it you know he was treating it as if it was you know uh he was making an album and wanted it to be a thing so it, it was a, a a wonderful experience and and my husband came to visit seg of america a couple of times and, and enjoyed going through our r&d group and he had been to Sega japan a couple of times uh so it, it was a, a wonderful experience
0: oh fair play um I mean, I bet you had to pinch yourself sometimes when you work with Michael Jackson. I mean, he was one of the biggest, most iconic pop stars in the world. It's absolutely incredible, isn't it?
1: it? It was. And, and, you know, the times that I was pinching myself was, you know, after we got our work done, it's like, I, okay, I need you to approve this. I need you to approve that. Then we would just sit down and we talk. Mm. And that's when I was pinching myself because it was just, you know, two friends having a great discussion uh, and it wasn't about video games and things like that um, you know any and he loved that you know I, I had um, he thought I had the greatest job in the world oh, did he uh-huh. yeah and, and, and uh, so it was just um, it, it was just a magic time and and I really missed him yeah, uh, yeah. It, it was a punch in the gut when, you know, he unfortunately passed away. Of
0: course, of course. Um, did you ever get to see him sing, perform? Chance,
1: uh... No. Okay. Just, I, I, yeah. never, I never got to see him perform, but, you know, I did get to see him in the studio yeah. uh, uh, working on uh, one of his songs, and then um, uh, he, he would do, as we were staying down, he would go to him and do, <laughs> I, I can't even do those, but you know what I do. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it was just like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and then he was, and then he was giving me music lessons because I had to explain what he wanted in yeah. the music to Japan. And he's going, and he's going, just tell them this. <laughs> and it's like, what does that mean? He goes, you don't need to know. They'll know. <laughs> <laughs> nice and enjoy. it's like, okay and it's like it, you know it, it, it was just it was it was a wonderful time um and uh uh, uh, uh definitely a privilege and an honor uh to go and do no oh,
0: fair play no fair play um there's rumors he works on some sonic games i think sonic free the music is, is that true or did you not have any idea on that
1: I can't comment on that.
0: Oh, fair enough. That's, that's more than fair enough. Um, console Wars. I want to quickly talk about Console Wars Out, Al, if that's all right. Uh, you obviously sure. appear throughout the book a lot. What's your views in the book, and how did that opportunity first come about? Uh,
1: Blake J. Harris, who is the author, yep. um, was interested in video games. He had had a Genesis system when he was growing up. Uh, and his brother gave him one, uh, you know, about five years ago as kind of a birthday gift or something, and it, it kind of sparked, I want to know more about, you know, uh, this rivalry between Sega and Nintendo, and I want to know about the history of video games. Yeah. And, she, and he went into a Barnes & Noble bookstore and said, where's your video game history section and they looked at him strangely and you know they they sent him over to a section of basically video game think books yeah uh, uh, and they didn't have any and he says you know there must be some good stories here and he says maybe I should write the book yeah. so he you know started investigating and found out that you know tom was uh, president of Sega. So he, he, I guess found Tom's email address or, and contacted them. And Tom goes and says, you know, and, and we had done lots of interviews. Yeah. It's yeah. you know, like I'm doing now over the years. Yeah. And, and, you know, people were like, we're writing the book and it's like, okay, you know, you get three lines in a book and, and it's like, who wants to go and, you know, who's going to read this? You're going to sell 500 copies. Blake says, No, I think that there's a um opportunity here for a a mass market book telling the story. And so they talked over a bunch of months and finally Tom got convinced. Okay, let's go and do this. Um and so Tom sent me an email going um, there's this guy, Blake J. Harris, who's writing a book about Sega versus Nintendo. Uh, I gave him your uh, email address. He's the real deal. Yep. And, and that was the most important you know, line in it. Because uh, if he had Tom's seal of approval, then that was there. Mm. So Blake called me and started talking about it. Um, and then he just started talking and, and networking and, you know, he's pulling up my LinkedIn and Tom's LinkedIn and, and and looking for people at Nintendo and just contacting. And he contacted over, over 200 interviews. And I think it was probably close to 300
0: That's incredible. Uh,
1: and people who, people who had never done an interview before. And, you know, Tom and I would go and get emails and phone calls from people who is this Blake J. Harris guy? You know, he says he's working with you guys. Is he real? What can I say? You know, it's like, and and was like, yes, Tom and I are working with him. Uh, if you want to talk to him, you talk to him. And it's up to you what you want to say and don't say what you don't want to say. Yeah. And, and so, you know, that was the Sega side and he had, you know, the Nintendo side. And what was interesting was before he got a publisher for the book, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg and um, uh, Scott Rudin bought the movie rights to the book. That and then and so then once the movie rights were done, he got the uh, he sold the book rights. Yeah. So that was actually something that's normally backwards. Yeah, that's Um, interesting. And so the book is, you know, the book, uh, I think is a, a very good and fair, um, retelling of, you know, what happened. Yeah. He, he got all of our voices, uh, in terms of how we talk and how we do that. Um, and, you know, uh, one of our colleagues says, thinks that Tom actually wrote the book because when he reads it, he hears Tom's voice just so clearly,
0: yeah. um,
1: and um, you know it's phenomenal. It's been translated now into Japanese, Russian, Polish, uh, Brazilian Portuguese, uh, Spanish. Mm. Um, I think that's it. And more is coming. French, is, I think French is coming. Uh, and so it, it's interesting seeing my story in all these different languages. It's a uh, um, so, uh, it's, uh, it's good. And we're, you know, we're looking forward, uh, and there's not just a movie coming out, but there's also a documentary. You're going to be uh, in that movie? That, I'm in it. Tom's in it. Uh, Howard Lincoln from Nintendo. Peter Maine from Nintendo. Um I think some retailers are in it. Uh, and so that has been that's all been shot. Uh and so um so they may they may do some additional interviews. because yeah. uh, they're they're still fine tuning and there's some things they want to go and do. So that, that's that's yeah. being worked on and um you know, scripts are being um written for um, uh, the movie, awesome. and, and so who knows? Now you're probably going to want to ask me, and because every time we talk about the movie, who do you want to play? You and yeah, definitely the, the, the standard answer from us and from all of us at Sega is no comments. <laughs> uh, we the, Internally, we you know. All of all of the people who will be, you know, the, who are the major players in the book, we joke about it and yeah. we do that, but publicly, we're not going to go and, and yeah. do that. So, the, the, so we all have a kind of cast list. No, oh, fair enough. I understand so,
0: that you can't reveal we, that,
1: <laughs> but we, 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 we joke about it, and it's it's just very really strange.
0: It's brilliant. It's so good to reminisce, and I can't wait to see uh, the documentary and the film. It's going to be excellent, I'm sure.
1: Um, who do you
0: think should play me Ooh, oh, how who could play you um he put me in the spot now actually <laughs> i don't know obviously someone someone wise and someone very very intelligent so there you go that's my answer <laughs> <laughs> um, okay um we're, we're, a couple of quick questions before we say goodbye if you don't mind Now, um do you mind no. explaining why you end up leaving sega and um, how would that how does Sega you kind of asked it earlier but how does it compare to other firms you've worked for so why did you end up leaving and how would you reflect back
1: uh, after Sonic 2 Sonic 2 was was the first global effort that we had done at Sega uh, it wasn't just going and saying hi go and do Sonic 2 yeah. we actually worked very closely together on uh, sharing ideas and sharing artwork and, you know, trying to go and, and, and utilize the best resources around the world. Uh, and that came out very successfully. And Sega wanted to, uh, uh do that and Tom wanted to do that, uh, more as well as, um, keep it, keep a good eye on what was happening in Sega Japan. Yeah. And so put me into a new role as head of global marketing. Um, and uh, I was living on a plane. Uh, you know, it's, it, it was just ridiculous. Uh, just hopping around the world and, and doing things. And, trying to get groups to go and and work together and get behind things. Um, And the problem was, was that I wasn't in charge of the product. Like I had been in my previous job and that's, that was part of what the success was like here's Sonic two. I'm in charge of Sonic two. And so therefore I can make the decisions for the U S and you know, work with the, work worldwide with it. Mm. And so it was becoming, um, I, I didn't have the authority and to be able to go and do things. Sure. Not only did I have to work with the UK and uh, Japan and the rest of the world, but I had to work with America and they, they became a, a thing. So it was, it, it was a very difficult position for me. And I don't sleep on planes, and I was just getting just too exhausted. Mm, yeah. and, and a wonderful opportunity came from Viacom, which owns MTV and Nickelodeon and Showtime and uh, other cable channels, and to help them start up their interactive efforts. Uh, and so it, it was with great sadness uh, that I left Sega, uh, but, but the job that I was in, I, I couldn't, uh, was wearing me out and, and I really couldn't succeed because there were just too many personalities involved, yeah. uh, for to be able to succeed. Uh, and we looked at other ways of what we could go and do. Um, and, and unfortunately there wasn't a way for me be placed, uh, that we could figure out. Uh, and that was unfortunate.
0: Yeah, it's a bit of a shame, really. But I understand it, yeah, it makes sense we had to leave, really. Um, yep. I mean, say, amazing company uh, and fair play, I have to say. Some of the stories you told me today, it just sounds like you're a really big player in the success of such an iconic company. So really do appreciate that. Um, final question, then, we'd like to ask. But
1: I, I was just um, the, the important thing is, yeah. uh, and I appreciate the, those kind words that you said about me, yeah. but there's no way we could have accomplished it without the rest of the team. Sure. And, and you know, it, um, Sonic Tuesday, it was not just the, you know, marketing, PR, and sales team, but it was also the finance and accounting and operations teams uh, who were had to go and do things they had never done before you know, shipping to 13,000 retailers. It was trying to figure out how to go and, you know, make sure that we had enough product for worldwide. That's another reason why products are are sometimes scattered, dates worldwide, is you make enough for one area and then enough for another area. And so what we ended up doing was starting to make our own cartridges in the US. And, the first million sonic cartridges were made in the U S and we had never done that before. And then we started making other cartridges. Uh, and so it was all about utilizing the team efforts to be able to go and do, and you know, it, uh, from the senior management, we, as I said, we became, uh, very, very close for close to this day. And, you know, I, I spoke with Tom kolinsky uh, you know, three days ago uh, and, and we communicate regularly so it, that, that's part of it you know you have great ideas and do that but you really need great people surrounding you and and it was just kind of the perfect storm of this phenomenal team coming together with these phenomenal products
0: oh, that sounds brilliant that's a proper team effort there well, that's a lovely way to end the interview Al. brilliant I really appreciate that final question if you could Absolutely. have, a, if yeah, if you could share a few drinks with a with a video game character, who would you most like to have a few drinks with, and why?
1: Well, I've had a lot of drinks with Sonic already, so <laughs> yeah. uh, so that's there. Uh, good question. Um, hmm. So I'd amazing. like to swimming with that other dolphin. Yeah,
0: that's a good answer. Uh,
1: uh, and so I'd like to do that. Um, I'd like to go and play music with Toe Jam and Earl. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, um, I'd like to fly on some of the spaceships that were there. Uh, I have had. I have had. You know, dinner uh, with Michael Jackson, so that doesn't count. That, that's amazing, uh, You know, that doesn't count. Um, you know, the, 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 those are, each, each game has something, you know, different
0: yeah. uh,
1: behind it. And so the characters, you know, are, are interesting um, from that standpoint. You know, uh, I'd love to go in and, you know, uh, enter the castle of illusion and have a banquet with Mickey Mouse. <laughs>
0: That's uh, uh,
1: and, 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 and see what's there. Uh, Donald Duck, that, that would kind of, you know, scare me. <laughs> um, Spider-Man, Batman, you know. um, um, I would like to go to Jurassic Park.
0: Yeah, yeah um,
1: and you know, and that was really cool because we we got to go and into Stan Winston's uh studio as he was designing all of the uh, uh, the dinosaurs for oh, wow. that, and and Stan was the guy who created the Terminator as oh, well brilliant. as lots of other things. Unfortunately, he's passed away, but it was it was great seeing all of these dinosaurs that they were actually constructing and then seeing them ending up in the movie. Yeah. Uh, but I would, I would love to be able to go and, and, and pay a visit um, to Jurassic Park, but not on the day when everybody escapes. Yeah, you know? so, <laughs> uh, and, and so those are the fun things, but um, you know, that's the great thing about video games is that they're, they're, um, they're so rich in terms of, you know, what the characters are about and what the stories are about, that um, you you really get drawn in, uh, as, not only from the stories but also from the gameplay. Yeah. Uh, and and so it, it, it's a, a wonderful, varied experience. But I think that's what makes. Uh, people excited, uh, about the different games and
0: the different systems. Brilliant. No, I think you've summed it up really well. And I think you the way you described video games really encapsulates how I feel about them as well. So fair play to you. Look, Al, I do really appreciate your time. You've, you, you've given us a great interview. You're a proper legend and I wish you all the success for the future. So thank you. Thank you so much for your time today.
1: My, my pleasure. I encourage your listeners to go and uh pick up a copy of um console wars. Yep. Uh, uh you know, it's now available in paperback. Or even on uh C D you can listen to it. Um or on Audible you can go and you know listen to it. Uh but it it's a great story of uh, a fantastic rivalry between uh two companies um who really were not very happy with each other yeah,
0: yeah.
1: and and some great behind the scenes stories of how you know some of your favorite video game memories came up about. For instance, the story about how Tales was named, that actual story
0: yeah.
1: that I that I read to the Sonic team. Is in console words. Oh wow! The first That's time we ever unearthed it, um, and uh, a lot of the speeches that we had given at Boken, things like that. Those are our actual words that we had done. Um, but it, it's great, and uh, so it's a great game for video game aficionados and lovers. It's, a, but it's also a business book, though not a dry, dull. You know, college book, yeah, uh, but it goes and can give you a good insight behind how business is operated and about marketing. It's actually being used in a number of colleges here in the US um, to go and help teach strategy and marketing. Um, and so, uh, uh, all I can say is it's a good read.
0: Brilliant. You nice. Know, no, so, definitely echo that. So definitely get out there and read it, guys. Brilliant. Well, Al, I'll leave you to it. Have a beautiful, beautiful rest of the day. And um, thank you so much again. My pleasure.
1: Now, when you buy the Sega Genesis that comes with Sonic 1, you'll get Sonic 2 absolutely free. Sonic 2 handles stubborn stains. Embarrassing bald spots, no problem. It even slices and dices, makes thousands of julienne fries. But wait, you can play it too. This free Sonic 2 is
0: a $54.99 value. You get two Sonics for the price of one. Sonic 2 fits easily into any tackle
1: box. Made from a space-age polymer plastic for years of family fun. And pets love it too. Buy the Sega Genesis that comes with Sonic 1 and get Sonic 2 free. Act now. Wiener Dog Sweater sold separately.
0: Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get in touch regarding this week's episode or anything else, you can tweet us at ArcadeAttackUK.com at Barlow 82 and at arcade underscore adriano we're also on facebook at facebook.com slash arcadeattackuk please check out our website at arcadeattack.co.uk for lots of retro gaming goodness interviews, reviews, features top 10s etc and you can also find all our previous podcasts there our podcasts are available to stream from the website and are available to download for free from Stitcher Podbean and iTunes where you can also leave us a review and a rating, which we would really, really appreciate. So until next time, take care and we'll speak to you soon.